Irish or wish you were, happy St. Patrick's Day. Good to be with you. We're gonna have some real big storms rolling through, uh, and I think we're gonna be done here before those storms hit. But just a reminder, uh, storms roll through every day, whether they're uh, meteorological like this one, with dumping rain and perhaps some uh, tornadoes, you know, we're, hope we're praying against. People have storms every day. So when you're going about your day, don't be a storm, be a harbor, be a safe place for people to come. Do not add wind and fury to a storm. All right, just a word to the wise there. James chapter four requires some wisdom as well. And but the scripture says that if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. So that's our good news. Let's hit James chapter four. Hope you've been reading ahead. Love this chapter. He starts with what, what causes fights, quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. Wow. That's a big jump. But murder does start somewhere back in here. It's a road. Every so often people will be caught by the police doing some horrible thing. Uh, and I've, I've talked to these people. I've been there a couple of times when they were brought in. And they will say, I, just, I don't know why I did that. I, I, never, I never planned to do any of these wrong things. And yet, they used voluntary muscles. They did think about it. And we can do all that uh, tracing back one day if you'd like. But we think about something and it becomes an emotion and a belief which then becomes an action. So yes, you desire, you do not have, so you kill. Actually, is the way it goes. He just did the Reader's Digest condensed book version, kids, ask your grandparents, of, uh, of the process. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarreled and fight. I think there's no, no explanation needed there, right? Then he goes further and he goes, you, you don't have because you don't ask God. Now, if we stop there, God would be uh, a vending machine. Put in two prayers, get out one blessing, you know, uh, one healing, or put in four prayers, and then uh, wisdom shall appear. I, I can remember I was told that uh, when I was a boy that whenever Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and reminded them of every single thing he'd ever said, that they knew the scripture then perfectly. And while they did get the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit did speak to them and through them, and while they did remember what Jesus said, it didn't say anywhere that all of scripture would now be memorized. That's what I heard though. And so I'm, I don't know, eight years old or so, seven years old, praying hard. All right, God, when I wake up in the morning, let me know every word of the Bible. It, it didn't happen. A little faith crisis kicked in right there, frankly. But, but why doesn't it happen? Because James didn't stop writing here. He's going to give us an idea. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. I think 
here he's talking more about money and display because James, as a faithful Jew, I mean, he refers to our father Abraham, his language and cadence is very Jewish because he's very much a Jew. He is, um, he's dealing in this book with stratification of the Jewish culture and society around him, where the poor are on one level, but the rich are on another, and these are all scrambling to get to the top. That's why he has done this, and you know, God's no respecter of persons. He's really pushing that we stop the stratification and bring it back together. And this Monday morning, when I did the part two on the who told you that about the whole uh, the Lord's Supper, we went to 1 Corinthians 11, which uh, people in my religious tribe and perhaps in yours have uh, mined every week when it comes to the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or communion. They, um, they read this as the order. I mean, I received of the Lord that which I gave unto thee. And it goes down uh, and they, they think, all right, he's showing us a pattern we must follow. And they ignore all of the context that it's in. The context is what James is battling, the stratification of your society, believer society, to where some are worth more than others because they're more wealthy. And they can, they can pray that God blesses them so they may consume it on their desires or use it on their desires. They're talking, in other words, about wealth, culture, power, and position. We could also use this in another way. A lot of prayers are asking God to take free will away from another human being. Dear Lord, make my uncle quit drinking. Dear Lord, make my wife pay more attention to me. Dear Lord, you get the point. I don't think we have the right or the, the warrant to pray that somebody else's free will be taken from them, but we'd like to hang on to all of ours. Thank you very much, Jesus. I think we need to be careful there. But we may want to do more in the way of praying for them than praying about them. That God would put the right people in their lives, that the Holy Spirit would come to them, that somehow God arranges the path of their life to where whatever aberrant behavior is ended. But be very careful because a lot of times it's not really the aberrant behavior we're concerned about. It's our control over that individual and how they treat us. God isn't gonna let the, the war prayers go up where both sides are praying to kill the other guy. He's not into that. And he doesn't have to really work with those that are praying for rain and others that say, don't let it rain, we have a picnic. Instead, he's asking you to do a prayer of faith to where, Father, this is what I want and I think I need, but I trust your judgment in all of this. That can be a difficult prayer to pray sometimes. In fact, he goes on with it. When you ask, you don't receive. We did that. You adulterous people, verse four. I, I gotta come back to that. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world because becomes an enemy of God. Um, you adulterous people. Oh, these people were sleeping around, were they? No. The word adultery, as we know it in the English language, only bubbled up in the 15, 1600s. There are 
there are roots we can find well before that, but the, uh, the King James Bible made it a popular word, uh, but it's still a prohibited activity, I must stress. Um, except for the, you may not know, there was one printing and, and it was called the, you know, well, it has a lot of names to it. One printing of the Bible that was commissioned, paid for, sent out, and they just, they had made a typo. Uh, wasn't caught until all the Bibles were sold. And uh, in it, in the Ten Commandments, it said, thou shalt commit adultery. It's a quite popular version, I'm sure, but that's not what we're talking about here. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, does that does that have a sexual element to it? Very often it does, but the word means to um, not honor your contract, not uh, not be true to your covenant, and so it's a much larger word than just sex. And here, you adulterous people, how were they being adulterers? They wanted Jesus and their culture and rising to a position in their culture. They, they wanted Jesus to link arms with the state, or at least with their culture and community within the state. You see where this is going? I have never seen a good outcome when Christians put their faith in elected officials to make the area or nation more Christian. Never seen it. Short-term gains, long-term losses, because then we're tied to that. And, and the particular religious group I'm a member of, uh, during the Civil War was completely split. Uh, there were North and South, and, and the ramifications of that split became more and more obvious as the decades went on. But by World War I, we were generally seen as pacifist, and that caused a lot of trouble with the draft in World War I, there were people went to prison and the like. But then the American fundamentalist movement really rolled in in the 20s, 30s, and early 40s. And by World War II, it was really hard to find pacifists in our people. I see now swinging back that direction. And by the way, I'm not picking a side. I'm not a pacifist, but I'm also anti-war. It's possible to be both. What then is going on here they're linking arms with the definitions of culture. This is success. This is wealth. This is what your station requires of you. This is who we are, and we are not them. James says that's adultery because you're claiming to follow Jesus, but you're flirting with the world, winking at the world, linking arms with the world, and we're not really sure what you're getting up to, but it's not gonna be good, all right? Do you, by the way, he goes, how can you be a friend of the world? When the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, and, and here, it is using system words, not place words. It is fine for you to, to rejoice at, at the beauty of the Canadian Rockies or at the, um, the brutal vistas of the Great Salt Lake Basin or um, perhaps down the, the Salt Flats, the Bonneville Flats, or to just be at peace and love whenever, whenever you're around the ocean. You know, think you can love butterflies. You're allowed, the Bible says so. It is not using terra or place word. 
He's using, using an EOS word, a word about the system. So we're not to withdraw. Paul made that very plain. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, he put it. We do things in a different way. They do that, we don't. Please remember that on social media. We don't post like others do. We don't, we don't say what they do. Uh, we are different people. As Philippians says, we are, our citizenship is in heaven. He goes on, you know, friend of world becomes enemy with God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He's wanting your eyes on him. He's wanting you to hug him. He's wanting you to dance with God. And you're over there looking at the world going, hey there, sweetie. Um, he, he gets jealous. So hang on. A refreshing beverage. But not in any way linked to a St. Patrick's Day. All right? Okay. Do you think it says, uh, without reason, he jealously longs for the spirit he is called to dwell in us? Um, there, are, there are a few places where we can find things like that, but not exactly that. So and I'm not sure where he's quoting from there, but he goes on and he goes, this is why scripture says, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Um, is God against rich people? No. No. Is, is God against powerful people? No. No. Neither sh should we be. But neither should we give them more value than the guy, uh, those of you in the Nashville area will know what I mean, standing on the corner selling you know, the contributor, uh, selling a, a newspaper to try to stay alive. Uh, we have a, there's a whole system here where the, those are homeless or nearly so, uh, they're given a job selling this newspaper and they, they buy the papers and they sell them and they keep the profit. Uh, some people like it, some people don't. I, we always, oh, well, not always, we missed a couple. We try to always stop and buy the paper. And my wife, God bless her, uh, keeps little bags that she gets from cosmetic counters. You know, they give you a gift. Here's a wee bag in it. She keeps those and stuffs in um, kind of hygiene kits, especially for the women. And it's lovely. There's toothpaste and brush and there's a little perfume. There's some makeup in there. There's some soap. And um, she just keeps a whole like a file drawer of that in her car. So she can do that as well. I love that woman. She's kind of, she's kind of amazing. Um, it is not that we're anti-rich. It's that we aren't anti all the other stuff and we're not, we don't want the rich people stuff. If we're rich, fair enough, but we're not trying to take from them. And we're also not ignoring the needs of that guy selling the paper or sitting on the sidewalk. Submit, he says, the only way to fix this is submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've heard that passage misused so many times. It says, all you have to do is just resist him. He'll run from you. The word here was used in wrestling. It's a sporting term. Uh, wasn't always, but it, it really, these wrestling matches would go to the death. He's saying, you have that attitude. 
and you fight, 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 and don't give an inch, the devil's going to move on to an easier target. By the way, he'll come back, but you will have been made stronger by the earlier fights. So resist the devil. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Uh, all right, kiddies, um, anybody under 45, 50 maybe, the front row of a car, the driver's area, did not used to have to be segregated into buckets with a hard plastic or uh, graphite thing in between you. In fact, it was smooth. It was cushy. You could bounce on it a bit because it was even springy. And they very often in the cloth seats. I, I don't think I ever heard of anybody having leather or anything unless they were in a, a Rolls Royce. All the others, the straight bench, it was, it was a plastic kind of, well, it was a fabric seat, uh, seat, but it's like a little plastic thing they'd, they'd sprayed on it. So it's kind of slick. And seat belts weren't a thing. They were around, but most people just tucked. They were an option on many cars. The cars didn't come with it. And you would shove the, the seat belts down into the seat because they're bothering me. Well, you took a curve right, and your girlfriend was sliding over. Uh, we used to call those CTMB curves for come to me, baby. Sometimes they'd be hanging on to the door you know, handle for, for dear life, knowing that you had devised a route that only had right turns. Well, the story goes of an old couple driving along the road. Got to figure out, got to keep in mind that seat. And the woman said, Hank, have you noticed when we were dating, we sat real close. You'd see that a lot, two heads driving a car. Uh, we sat real close. And over the years, something's happened, and now we're sitting far away. And Hank drove for a little bit, and then he said, I didn't move. I think I hear that from God sometimes. When I say, why are you so far from me? And he looks back and goes, why are you so far from me? I didn't move, Patrick. You did. Oh. <laughs> so draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Come, um, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Very, 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 very Jewish here. The oblations of washing and cleansing, uh, the mikvah where you would walk down the steps and uh, immerse yourself, sometimes several times uh, on special days just as a way of cleansing. The priest had to go through a, a bath ritual before they could enter the temple or even the tabernacle. Um, and James wants you to, to hear three words, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Application in our culture. Ah, I love comedy. I really love comedy, but I can't listen to much of it because it is just, it's like, Oh, if I say the F word or talk about bodily functions, reproductive or elimination, I'll have the crowd behind me. People, that was 1964, Len, Lenny Bruce. We've all heard the F word a couple million times now, and it's not shocking. It's boring. And there's no need to make light of and joy of something which is destructive but we allowed to even change our language. That man 
did not have sex with another woman and break up his family. No, he had an affair. He had a fling. What did we do? We took all of the seriousness out of what just happened. Or myself, you know, I can say, uh, C.S. Lewis is brilliant about this, by the way, in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says, what everybody else does, we judge, but we want God to judge us for our intentions. Because even if we do something wrong, we, we had reasons. Grieving, mourning, and wailing. I know. Don't tell anybody. I know nobody watches these. So yesterday, my wife and I were eating at, at Noodles, a, a chain restaurant, which we, we like. And I started talking to her about all the mistakes I'd made on the road. The times I didn't speak up fight back when I knew something being taught didn't make sense, or when I was just completely misbehaving and doing wrong, whatever that was. And I look back on that entire life of this, and I said, if I had my life to live over, I would want to change everything, but then that would mean I don't meet you, and we don't have our five precious grandbabies and our two amazing kids and the people they married. All those mistakes, it's kind of like the old country song, that uh, God bless the broken road. And I, I know like four country songs, so be very, very proud of me for remembering that one. We need to take our sin seriously because we are saved by grace, absolutely. But we need to know why we need grace and realize that we have hurt God who loves us. God is brokenhearted. As, um, Philip Yancey puts it several times, uh, God is a lover in internal, uh, eternal pursuit of us, and we seem absolutely set on breaking his heart. So we should grieve, mourn, and wail. Humble yourself before the Lord, but you're not going to stay there. As soon as you do, he lifts you up. Forgiveness is what he does. This Sunday at our Safe Harbor Church, and you can find us on right here, um, so subscribe. We're actually doing two Palm Sundays because I didn't do a Lenten. We're just going to kind of get ready. So this Sunday, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said from the cross. Sometimes those are called the seven sayings. I hope you can join us there. And by the way, music's going to get mixed up there a lot more now. And the next two weeks look a lot of fun. So, and I even get to sit back and so allow real people up there that know what they're doing. So this is going to be fun. Tune in. But you, what does he do? What's his instinct to forgive? Even when nails are driven in him and he's wet, people are laughing at him. Yeah, he forgives. So grieve, mourn, and wail. Go to God and he'll lift you up. He goes, brothers and sisters, here's a really big one. This is hugely important. Do not slander one another. I know I have been slandered and libeled for decades, and I've slandered and libeled others for decades. I cannot pick up a stone and throw it at anyone because the only ones who can are the ones without sin. Be very careful. We do not speak against other people. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, um, Actually, the word here is bigger. It says believer. 
Anyone who speaks against any believer or judges them against the law and judge, uh, speaks rather against the law and judges it. We'll get back to that. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. That's true. What does it mean that when we slander a brother or sister, whenever we're unkind to someone and make an accusation on our self-righteous little thrones, what does it mean that we're judging the law? Another very Jewish thing. To the Jews, the law was boiled down to love God and love one another. Remember, Jesus brought that up. That was already in the culture. Jesus just verified that God agreed. Love God, love each other, and God is our judge. So if you judge between here and there, what are you doing? You're judging God's judgment as inadequate. So he needs you to come in as a procurator fiscal and uh, levy the charge. Because he's either not interested or absent, like Baal back on Mount Carmel, or he's, he's too slow. So, hey God, we'll take care of this. No. You let people be who they are. You love God and love each other. That's your job. Don't try to take God's job. Now then, he, this last part of this chapter. You who say, tomorrow or, to, or the city or tomorrow, we'll, we'll go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Well, we have a lot of those kind of discussions, don't we? He goes, Why, do you not know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Again, a very Jewish common greeting and um, oh, a conversation device. <coughs> the Lord wills, the Lord wills. Um, you've, you've heard many Muslims, whenever they will say something, they'll add inshallah. Um, that just means if Allah allows, if that's, if that's acceptable to Allah. Uh, the Jews, and remember, you know, Muslims, Jews, these, these are Semitic peoples out here, Arab people, Persian people. Uh, if we're going to label them, they do come from one area and one people group. I know people argue with that. That's just generally where we are, all right? That's where most people would put us. So the language of uh, that, inshallah, inshallah, Think of that as when it's to the Jews, it's always if God wills, if God wills. When I was um, a boy, you heard that all the time in your house and certainly in church. Lord willing, you'll be with us tonight, Lord willing, uh, as we meet at seven o'clock. And if the Lord wills, we'll see you again next Sunday. Um, Lord willing, we're gonna, I don't want that to become an obligation. God's not telling you to make that a social obligation. But in your heart, you should always remember, God's in charge. I won't do what I think is best. And if I don't think God's doing what I think is best, eh, well, I'll talk to him, but he's in charge, Lord willing. 
Nothing wrong with putting that back in a culture, is there? Uh, it says, instead, you ought to say, if it's a Lord will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Um, what, what is he talking about? If you keep God out of your language, and certainly if you keep him out of your thought processes, then you are in charge of your own little universe. God isn't. You decide this and you decide that. It's one of the reasons why giving is such an important part of worship. I give uh, and I think you give. I think almost everybody viewing this gives to charities and to churches. We have, we have Tithely, uh, we have PayPal and we, have, we, we accept checks uh, through a post office box. And it is just touching to see people being faithful, you know, $10, $15. It's just amazing because I know that really, that was a deep dive for them to get $15. What are they saying when they give that? Whether it's $15 or 15,000, what are they saying? We haven't gotten any 15,000. That's an illustration. Remember to bring that up when you quote me. Either way, when we give, we are saying, God, I trust you as a ruler of the universe to be able to do more with this than I could ever do. And that's where James is trying to move his people back into. The, the earth and all within it belongs to God, and that includes our plans. It was a Greek pagan philosopher who said, man plans, God laughs. That's not God doesn't laugh at us. He laughs with us, I think, sometimes, because we're kind of funny. And he did funny stuff, too, like Birds of Paradise and Platypus. And you know, he had a sense of humor. Um, still does. Thank, thank God, literally. Be very careful in the way that we say, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing that. Allow God to have room. One quick story. We've had 30 minutes, so I need to, I need to finish, finish this. Um, I had just become minister at the Rochester Church of Christ back in 2001. Uh, that's Rochester, Michigan, not New York. F spent 10 years there, 10 of the best years of my life. It was just a blessing. And st still love those people. I head up every time I, I get a shot. We, I'd only been the minister for a few months when the, the elders, which are the... Uh, in that polity are the men that make the decisions and, and you know, tend the flock. They called me in and they asked me to make a five-year plan. And I said, tell me what, what you mean. Because uh, I'm not a business guy. I'm a scientist who preaches. What do I know about any of this? So he says, well, I, well, they said, such as in six months, we would like to have this number of people coming. In three years, we see this number of people coming and us doing this, that, and the other. And when they were done explaining it, I said, I don't really think I'm going to do a five-year plan. And they said, why not? And I said, because if I'm doing my job, we might have five people here in 10 years, not 5,000. If I do my job, then God's going to increase or decrease as God sees fit. And we talked about that for quite some time. Very proud of them because they immediately got it. We looked at James. Okay. What our plan is, is this is who we're going to be regardless of what happens over the next five years. 
brilliant. They did it great. I'm so proud of them, and I still love them dearly to this very day. Then James wraps up with a sentence that seems a bit disconnected here, but it isn't, because again, it's rich and poor, powerful, out of power. That's the entire thing James is dealing with here. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Not, not necessarily for you. In other words, let's say that I know there's a struggling minister in Peru and $100 would change his life right now. But you know, I'm kind of busy. I forget to do it. The money fritters away. Um, I've missed the mark. And the word sin there comes from a sporting term. When an arrow is shot and it misses the target. Saying, listen, James isn't saying, and you're going to burn forever. No, he's saying, you know, you're better than this. Do better than this. Hit your target. Make a target, then hit the target. So what good do you need to do? I've had people call me out of the blue and said, the Holy Spirit keeps bringing your face and face and, and, and mind to me and, and your name. So I, I don't want to ignore him. Can I pray for you over the phone? Yes. Others, I'll get a card. We'll get a, a letter that says, the Lord, we were just thinking of you. And we want to, what a blessing. And many of you, I've got to say, especially this week, have sent in, I've got scores and scores of thank yous for the worship on Sunday, for the work of our Safe Harbor Church. Thank you. Because we do get drive-by attacks. Well, that's okay. The, truly, truly, uh, it, it's running 100 to 1 positive. And that means a lot to us. You thought about doing something good, and you did it. Well done. Keep that in mind. I want you to stay safe, especially if you're in the Mid-South and South today as the storms roll through. And it is St. Patrick's Day, and there are going to be a lot of people that will use it as an excuse to uh, become drunk, and many of them will climb into cars. Be careful out there. We love you. And if the Lord wills, the next time I see you will be very soon, Sunday, Monday morning, and back here on Wednesday. May God bless you. We love you from our safe harbor.